It's pretty simple. We use you know, pretty standard ingredients. We have three different recipes. Right now, one is pork, the other one is beef, the other one is turkey. And we use things such as carrots and cauliflower, broccoli, we use lentils, chickpeas, sweet potatoes, just normal, normal everyday vegetables. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vedya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Britt Batalski, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog, a smarter, healthier pet food. Welcome, Brett. Thanks so much for having me. I'm not a dog owner, but definitely a dog lover. And I live in West Lafayette, Indiana, the home of Purdue University. Purdue has one of the top veterinary medicine schools in the nation. And I noticed more and more veterinarians were recommending home-cooked meals to my friends who are dog owners. Do you know why that would be? Oh, that's really, really good to hear. Um, And also not surprising. I, I guess the simple fundamental idea that there has been this paradigm shift and people now understand the power that food has on their health. Uh, I think there's plenty of cultures that have, that have known this for, for millennia, uh, but especially in America, really making this connection now. Now it's also happening for our dogs. And the simple idea that dogs right now, especially in America, are pretty much eating only highly, highly processed food. These brown balls that we're supposed to believe are food, people are starting to realize that's probably not food. And if it was food, why did they just leave it in its natural form? Why did they turn it into these brown balls? I think it's just as simple as people understanding that fresh food is much better for you than highly processed food. And vets who have pretty much devoted their lives to the health and well-being of the animals that they treat know that this is a really, really simple and easy way to prevent issues. So why do you think the dry brown balls even came about? Was it just convenience or maybe they wanted the animals to get a balanced diet? Yeah, well, that's a, it's a great question. It's actually a really interesting history. Before this time, dogs were eating scraps, right? People were cooking whatever they made for their family, they were giving to their dogs. Uh, eventually, an industry came about. They realized there was a market to sell these products to people. And yes, to make their food complete balanced, we started to find there was foods that you can't give to dogs because uh, it can hurt them, especially in high quantities, uh, like raisins and grapes and macadamia nuts and chocolate. But then there's also uh, nutrients that are really important for a dog and then certain ratios of nutrients that are that allow the dog to have a super optimized diet. So what happened was when this pet food industry started, they, they were using meat, but it, it wasn't shelf-stable. Uh, and then, you know, they started to use canning, which made it a little bit more stable and last, last longer. Uh, but then when World War II started, the army needed metal from canning. They needed that metal to use for ammunition and other, other things in the war. They basically tasked the pet food industry uh, to figure out a way to like, how to get away from using these cans because they simply couldn't use it anymore. And the industry used this old technique, used them for sailors, where sailors were going out at sea for, for months at a time and they needed to uh, have a food that was shelf-stable. So it, essentially this process that they figured out was extrusion. It's a high heat process where they squeeze these ingredients into a small, tiny, tiny little area, they bake it, uh, and then it allows it to be stable for a, quite a long period of time. Eventually the industry figured out a lot of efficiencies 
Uh, one, uh, you don't need to use high quality ingredients. Uh, and then eventually they kind of realized, you know, nobody even knows what's even in this stuff, nor do they know how much meat or how, how much of each and every ingredient. They don't, you can't really tell if there's any ingredients in there, which allowed for a lot of flexibility. They also found that there was a ton of cost savings in using this process. So from there, there was just really no reason for these big businesses to turn around after the war and go back to, you know, maybe healthier food, but that wasn't as cost effective for the company. Why did you come up with the idea of this food, of the farmer's dog? My dog was sick for the first two years that I had her and it broke my heart. I, I tried everything to make her better. And finally, vet recommended I tried home cooking for her. And I realized there was this pattern of vets recommending home cooking for my dog just for a short amount of time uh, whenever her stomach was bad. And every time I did, all of her symptoms would clear up, which was really, really interesting to me. And then I started to wonder, like, what's going on in pet food? Why is it the status quo to give our dogs highly processed food every meal of their lives? There's no other species on the planet that eats processed food. And dogs of all species are like the most beloved animal on the world. And we're giving them these highly processed foods every single day. Uh, it made me wonder. So I started looking into the industry and what I found was actually really scary. It's highly unregulated. The regulations on the industry are worded extremely loose, where it makes it very easy for companies to do things. To put it simply, you would not want to feed your dog. I mean, for instance, four D-meats, dying, dead, diseased, and disabled, right? The, those sorts of animals are not allowed to be used in human food, and they're also not allowed to be used in animal food. But if you were to take those animal meats and render it into a meal, a meal is essentially a rendered meat that they turn into a powder. If you take that meat that's illegal to sell for dog food and turn it into a powder, it's now legal to sell dog food. So there's all of these little... Yeah, all of these little like loopholes. I mean, like for I mean, and, and then there's just so many little rules that make it easy for for pet food companies to to essentially trick people. I mean, for instance, if you were in a a supermarket and you look at the shelf and the packaging says that this item was made with turkey, for instance, like what percentage of that package would you imagine has turkey in it? If the front of the packaging, big prominent letter says made with turkey. Give or take. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm thinking 3%. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's crazy because in the pet food industry, that's actually what it is. Whereas as a normal consumer, you're walking through a store and a company is going to throw on the front of their packaging that's made with a certain ingredient. You're going to assume that it's probably like most of it. Yeah. You would assume that's the first ingredient on the, in the back. Yeah, of the... exactly. I, yeah. And, and, and to go off of that, you could take something that's only 3% of the actual of the actual contents of the food and still make it the first ingredient doing a very commonly used industry trick called ingredient splitting. So for instance, let's just say the second ingredient is going to be a carbohydrate of sorts. And then instead of it being rice to put in the food, you have the ability to do is split rice up into brown rice, white rice, brewer's yeast, uh, pea protein, pea flour. You could do sweet potato, white potato, russet potato, right? So you could take an ingredient or a type of ingredient and split that up into several different ingredients so that so now you could still move that one ingredient to the front of the line. Just the, the lack of regulation and how all this food out there is so highly processed. So I started looking for a company that I could trust, this company that I felt comfortable feeding my dog 
And eventually I just came to the harsh realization that there was just no companies out there that I felt comfortable feeding my dog. So Jonathan and I decided to build that company. So what do you tell the folks who think that wet food or home-cooked foods are not good for the dog's teeth and makes their breath smell, it makes them overweight, they don't get a balanced diet? I'm in a rush, I just throw it in the bowl and just go off to work. Well, I guess depending on which one of those they say, uh, there's definitely a different response for each one. If somebody says that it's not balanced, well, you know, if cooking a home-cooked food most likely isn't balanced, but, you know, that, that's why we do what we do. We make fresh, real food with the same exact nutritional balance as a big company. Just with us, they're going to receive their nutrients through a natural source as opposed to a brown ball that gets the nutrients sprayed on it. But only some uh, nutrients getting sprayed on. I think it's pretty much common sense at this point where people understand that highly processed food is not as good for your health as, um, as, as just cooked food. The other thing you mentioned was cleaning their teeth. I think that is, I mean, it's, that's pretty much known to be like a pet industry myth. Like, for instance, I, I guess my, 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 my best response to that when people have mentioned that to me, you know, I asked them if they would, if they would eat cereal in lieu of brushing their teeth. I don't think so. <laughs> it's just not logical. It doesn't make sense. No animal in the wild is, has periodontal disease, right? And they're eating flesh for the most part, right? It's interesting because, what, 99.9% of dogs, I don't know, let's just say 98% of dogs in America are eating kibble. Meanwhile, periodontal disease is the number one disease in dogs. But one of the, one of the ways that they market kibble to you know, try to push people away from home cooking or wet food is by saying it cleans your teeth. But the writing's on the wall. It's pretty obvious that that's not the case. So how did you come up with the name, The Farmer's Dog? For two, two things. One, it, when you think of The Farmer's Dog, you think of a dog living in an amazing environment. They're happy. They're out playing. They, they have an open field. They're eating food directly from the source, and it's fresh, and it's not processed food. And the other side of it is this relationship. It's something that we talk about a lot here is how dogs are dogs and humans, this bond that we have is so special. So the farmer, their dog, they have this amazing symbiotic relationship where they, they love each other, they work together, they probably even sleep in the same bed, but you know, they really live a full life together and they both contribute to each other in this amazing way. So what are the ingredients in your food? It's pretty simple. It's, uh, it's meat and vegetables. Uh, and then we use a, um, a, a supplement blend to ensure that they're getting a balanced diet. So we use, you know, pretty standard ingredients. We have three different recipes right now. One is pork, the other one's beef, the other one is turkey. And we use things such as carrots and cauliflower and broccoli. We use lentils and chickpeas, sweet potatoes, just normal, normal everyday vegetables. Yeah, just just typical normal everyday vegetables that you could find in that you could find in a supermarket. That just and we just make it really easy. Our whole like you could make our food at home if you wanted to. The difficult part is one doing it every day, uh, but also ensuring the completeness and the perfect balance where the vitamins and the mineral, minerals are in the perfect ratio to each other for optimal nutrition. That's something that's really special that we do. That is really, really, really difficult to do at home. Because even if you have a recipe that is complete and balanced, based on several variables and how you cook the food, it could throw off the balance, right? So for instance, if you were to cook the food a little bit longer than you should, and like, so for instance, if you leave meat in the oven for too long, more of the moisture could evaporate and therefore makes 
pretty much everything within the meat more dense, right? More dense than you expected it to because you expect the water to make up for some of the volume and some of the weight of the food. Uh, so that's like a small example of how cooking can affect uh, the nutrient density. How long do your foods um, last? What's the shelf life of your food and how do you assure that shelf life? Well, we tell people just to treat it like normal food that they made at home. When our food arrives to you, one of the cool things about what we do is you never have to worry about that. You'll never have the food long enough for it to go bad. Uh, we send you it frozen, keep it in your freezer, and then we give you instructions to move it over to the fridge. And then you cut it open in time to serve the food. And then once it's open, it's good in the refrigerator for four to five days. But yeah, you just treat it like normal, normal human food that you have at home. You know, so we don't use any preservatives. So after the food is cooked, it's frozen immediately and then stays frozen until it makes it to you. And no preservatives. So uh, it definitely can and will go bad if you leave it open for too long which we think is a, is, is a good sign of, of high-quality food. Any food that, uh, that you could just leave out for days or weeks at a time at like room temperature that doesn't go bad is, uh, <laughs> is a little suspicious. Do you customize your food and the diet, uh, dietary requirements of different breeds? What our technology does is when you fill out the information about your dog, It'll give you a custom plan where you'll receive food that's pre-portioned for your dog. So the main thing that we customize is the portioning, which, and so something that we do is we pre-portion it to ensure that one, you're definitely not going to underfeed, but you're also not going to overfeed, which will lead to big issues down the road. To talk about your packaging, um, it's, it, the insulation is biodegradable. What is it made of? Yeah, the insulation, it's, uh, it's made out of a, a cornstarch material. What we realized was one of the biggest issues is it's not eco-friendly. These companies are sending people um, these boxes where the insulation, which is one extremely important, and it needs to be there, but it's also it's also just not good for the environment. And we realized that we, we decided to task ourselves with a way of figuring out how to eliminate that completely from the equation. We found a company that we worked with for the last few years to uh, essentially their insulation. In, when introduced to any moisture, completely disintegrates instantly. So what's the cost of your food versus the dry food? It, it really depends. I mean, so there's a lot of dry food out there that is actually quite expensive. We, we believe that there's really no difference between any of the dry foods. Is If it's kibble, it's, it's kibble, right? And everything else after that is just marketing. We're definitely fairly significantly more expensive, but if you were to compare us to... Just, you know, any other normal food, or if you were to go buy ingredients and cook it for your dog, we would be cheaper in most cases. People, you know, sometimes people will, will ask, like, or why is it so much more expensive than kibble? And the reason is because the ingredients in the process we use is meant for human consumption, whereas the ingredients in the process that are used for pet food are not for human consumption and are actually illegal to sell to human beings. So the big distinction in pet food and human food is that one is called feed and the other is called food. So food is for humans and feed are for animals. And all feed-grade ingredients are illegal to sell to human beings for consumption for safety purposes because they're just not safe for human beings. And the interesting thing, and one of the things that I realized when I was researching the industry was feed-grade is a type of regulation that is put on food to be fed to animals, right? And these animals that, they're, that you're typically feeding feed-grade foods are livestock, 
like cattle, animals that are being bred for slaughter, essentially, right? These cows and these chickens and these turkeys, they're being bred only to grow large enough to be slaughtered and then fed to human beings. They're not being bred to live long, happy, healthy lives. But dogs, we have dogs and we want them to live as long as they possibly can. Meanwhile, we're feeding them foods that have the same exact regulation on them as these other animals that aren't supposed to live long, healthy, happy lives, which to me was really, really alarming. I'd rather them have the same regulations as a bee, as a living being, that we want to live a long, healthy life. So that was really eye-opening for me. Have you done any taste tests of this food <laughs> on dogs? And... Oh, my God. Yeah, many, 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 many thousands of them. <laughs> well over, uh, I think, like over a million a week at this point. <laughs> So that's your subscription now, almost a million meals a week. I think we're doing a bit over that now. Talk a little bit about the purchasing model, the subscription model that you have. And I think that is really important uh, so that it's consistent. The diet is balanced and is consistent. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. Yeah. So when we were starting the company, it was, you know, it was just me and Jonathan the subscription and how we do it, it all started out of necessity because we were only able to get to the kitchen once every other week. We needed to give people the exact amount of food to last their dog exactly two weeks, no more, no less. And then in order for us to ensure that they weren't going to run out or have too much or too little, we needed to pre-portion it for them. And as we grew the company, we realized people really, really loved that. So instead of once we realized, you know, once we tried to really scale it up and realized it was really, really difficult to customize it at that level. We didn't want to change the experience for our customers. So uh, we decided that we had to build technology to make this to make this easier. So now what the technology does is you fill out the information about your dog, a custom plan is generated, and then we send you pre-cooked, it's all custom portions for your dog, and then we deliver it by a subscription. And our technology completely manages your dog's uh, subscription for you. You don't need to think about it. You don't need to reorder food. Right when you're just a few days left of food, you may be starting to wonder if if we're if we know you're running out of food, you'll get an email saying that your next box is about to arrive. And it's all supposed to just kind of work behind the scenes, making it really, really easy and convenient where you know we don't want our customers to really have to think or worry. Something that is really, really important to us is giving our customers peace of mind. We want them to have peace of mind that their dog is having the healthiest diet there is uh, and that they're never going to run out of food and they're going to always have a company that is looking out for them and cares and actually cares about their dog. You know, for us, it's really not about you know, the business or the money. We are, we are on a mission to fundamentally change the way people think about feeding their pets. And we want to make it really, really, really easy for them to have, give their dogs the healthiest diet possible. So do you customize for any health issues that the dogs may have? Not yet. Not yet. Well, there's, there are certain health issues where that our food actually helps with. Like if you have, if you have a dog with GI issues, switching them to a fresh food diet is going in to help pretty much all of them. We see a ton of dogs that come to us with health issues. I'm sorry, stomach issues. And it clears up with our food. Then there are also some other issues that require a very specific diet. And we're actually uh, we're actually going to be um, releasing diets like that in the not-so-distant future. What about a vegetarian? A friend of mine, she's a vegetarian, and she's trying to bring up her dog on a vegetarian diet. I don't know 
how successful she will be in balancing the diet. Do you think it's possible to balance the diet and give all the nutrients required for a dog uh, with a vegetarian diet? I, I guess there's a few ways to answer that. I think it is possible, but dogs require amino acids. And these amino acids, their ideal state are natural, which means that they come from meat. It is possible to use a synthetic version of these amino acids. We just don't have any like longitudinal studies to show that a dog will thrive on a vegetarian diet. But I do believe that it's possible to give it to them. I personally wouldn't feel comfortable giving my dog a vegetarian diet. I don't eat meat. My wife doesn't eat meat, but our dogs, uh, our dogs do. <laughs> so I have my own moral dilemma, if you will. I, I mean, the way that I look at it is I don't need meat to survive. I can get all of the all of the amino acids from from plants. Where dogs, the amino acids and the amount of amino acids that they need in proportion to the other nutrients in their diet are, are quite a bit higher than a human beings, and therefore, as far as we know today, do require meat. Trust me, I would love if we find out that dogs will thrive without meat in their diet. It'll be amazing for the environment. Tell you that. So is there a farm cat, the farmer's cat coming up? Uh, what about cat food? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. But uh, my, my grandma's been dying for us to make cat food for her cat. So I, I definitely have a lot of pressure right now. But we, uh, you know, we, we love cats too. And we'll definitely be making food for them. There are other companies which make fresh food and for dogs, but I haven't come across any who does that for cats. And I haven't heard of cat owners saying, I cooked some fresh fish for my cat. Why is that? I, th I think there's a few now. Uh, I think one of our, I, I don't call them competitors. I like to call them allies or, or peers because you know, if they're making fresh food for dogs or, or for cats, I, I love what they're doing because it's much healthier than the alternative. Uh, I do know that there's a few that are, that are doing it. I, I think the cat market is a, is a lot more difficult than dogs because dogs are a lot less picky about what they eat. It's a from experience, especially my dogs. They'll eat literally anything. Cats are a lot more uh, a lot more finicky about their food. So you know, developing a product that all cats like uh, is tough. So uh, what I understand there's there's a little bit of an issue with churn for, for these companies, but I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll figure it out, and I, I, we are definitely going to figure it out ourselves as well. Cat food out there is. I mean, it's just as bad as dog food. I know, and all of the vets. Every time I speak to a vet, they're always like, "Please come out with cat food. We really need it. Cats hate this stuff." Thank you, Brett, for coming on our podcast, and thank you for being mindful. If you're a creator of a mindful brand and would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. We recorded this podcast at Q1067 in Lafayette, Indiana. Thank you, Jim Stone, the owner of Q1067. Tatum Gale composed the music for this podcast. This is Mindful Businesses with Vidya Iyer.